Well, it's good to be with you all this morning on this World Communion Sunday. The lectionary for this Sunday served up two passages from the Book of Lamentations, a book that appears once every three years. And honestly, I don't know what these passages have to do with World Communion Sunday. <laughs> but after wrestling with our passage for today, I realized that World Communion Sunday can become routine without looking at the truth. Truth is, even though we celebrate the Lord's Supper across the globe on the first Sunday of October each year, we are still struggling. The world is still struggling. The church is still struggling. Christians are still struggling. So this morning, I wanna focus on truth and hope. The truth that we can have hope in the face of reality. And I think we find this, believe it or not, in the book of Lamentations. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Lamentations, chapter three, verses 19 to 26. I invite you to listen to the word of the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fred Craddock, scholar and teacher of preaching, describes a common human occurrence. A child falls down and skins a knee or elbow and comes running to mother. The mother picks up the child and says, in the oldest myth in the world, let me kiss it and make it well. She picks up the child, kisses the skinned place, holds the child in her lap and all is well. Did her kiss make it well? No, it was that 10 minutes in her lap. Just sit in the lap of love and see the mother crying. Mother, why are you crying? I'm the one who hurt my elbow. Because you hurt, the mother says, I hurt. That does more for the child than all the bandages and medicine in the world, just sitting in her lap. The book of Lamentations is like that. We hurt because people hurt. Maybe that's why we don't preach from the book of Lamentations very often, because we don't like to hurt. The book of Lamentations is a rendition of great loss over the temple and the city of Jerusalem during the Babylonian destruction. It speaks of despair, war, sin, and death. Chapter one begins with, surprisingly, a lament. Not surprisingly, actually. How, how deserted lies the city. That's the city of Jerusalem. Once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. 
Lamentations was actually written to express grief and to pour out before God the horror and bitterness of what had happened to Jerusalem. These five poems, the five chapters in Lamentations, help us to understand what it meant for Jews to see Jerusalem destroyed. They can also help us to deal appropriately with grief, our own or others. The author spends considerable time expressing deep emotion and does not rush to save us from our grief. The lamenting continues into chapter 3, where we pick up today. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. Well, lamentations is not hard to understand because even today, there is plenty of lamenting to go around. Just look at the evening news in our world, in our country, in our city, and perhaps in and around us. But how are we doing with hope? How are we doing with hope? Closer attention to our reading from chapter 3 this morning gives us a way through, thankfully. The writer has a breakthrough in verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In other words, in spite of everything I just told you, in spite of everything that happened, I now remember, and therefore I have hope. How did that happen? Lots and lots and lots of lamenting. And then all of a sudden, I have hope. How did the writer go from lamenting to hope? And how, pray tell, do we bridge the gap? In a few minutes, we will hear a wonderful hymn written by Thomas Chisholm, who wrote, Great is thy faithfulness as a testimony to God's faithfulness through his very ordinary life. Born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky, Chisholm became a Christian when he was 27 and entered the ministry when he was 36, though he retired after just one year due to poor health. Chisholm explained toward the end of his life, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. The key to our passage this morning is the Hebrew word hesed, which is found in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord, God's loving kindness, God's unfailing faithfulness. Thomas Chisholm was remembering how God had been faithful to him. It wasn't the prosperity or good health that gave him life. It was the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and the many wonderful displays of God's provision and God's care. I, for one, am grateful for the break in lamentations. His mercies are new every morning. In the midst of all the lamenting, it seems there is hope in the face of reality. But I do want to dig deeper into the bridge from reality to hope. The reality is that most tragedies come into our lives unannounced. The natural disasters, the folks in the Bahamas will attest to that. Terminal diagnoses, cancer, accidents, family systems that become unbalanced, 
addictions, job loss, confusion, depression. When you're in the midst of a crisis, sometimes it's hard to see a way through. In his book, Don't Sing Songs to a Heavy Heart, pastor, author, and clinical psychologist Kenneth Hoke writes about a human problem each of us faces from time to time, found in Proverbs chapter 25. Like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. This verse isn't telling caregivers to avoid music around someone with a heavy heart. Instead, it speaks about the false cheerfulness of caregivers who gloss over the pain of one who is suffering. Though it might seem that you could lighten a heavy heart by singing songs, chances are that you'll only make things worse. By singing songs, I mean sunny phrases, and we've all said them. I know how you feel, or he's at peace now. Well, at least you've had 31 years. And don't forget the should and shouldn't statements. You really should be over it by now. Or you should be dating someone. Here's another one. God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. And as an aside, that is not in the Bible. Nowhere. People think it is. People think it is because it's loosely based on a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But a careful reading of this passage is not at all about bearing burdens of pain and suffering. It's more about resisting temptation. Well, what I've learned is that we as Christians are, yes, we are in the business of offering and providing hope. But how we do it matters. We have to listen all the way. And sometimes we use words. St. Francis of Assisi has been attributed to this quote. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So how do we hold on and share hope in the face of reality, especially when some of our realities are really complicated and hard? Well, Naomi and Gladys found a way. Naomi is a Jewish lady, and one day she visited an 87-year-old Christian woman named Gladys. Gladys was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she was virtually nonverbal. Naomi was visiting Gladys, who was rocking back and forth in her chair, and Naomi was, was gently rubbing Gladys's arm. She, she was trying to connect with Gladys. And since it was hard to have conversation with Gladys being nonverbal, Naomi started singing to Gladys church songs. Jesus loves me, this I know. And Gladys started patting the arm of the chair, keeping time. And then after Naomi sings, Jesus loves me, she sings, He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then the next verse, He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hands. He's got the mothers and the fathers. And Gladys, in perfect time, said three little words, In his hands. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hands. Of course, it was a breakthrough for Gladys. Hope. Breaking through. When you least expect it. His mercies are new every morning. Today, friends, is World Communion Sunday. The meal set before you, the bread and the cup, is a visible and tangible sign of God's invisible grace. 
God's presence, God's loving kindness, and hope, yes, hope in the face of reality. Even in the midst of crises, even in the midst of despair, there is hope. Why? Because God's steadfast love and mercies never end, and God's faithfulness is great. It is hard to bridge the gap between despair and hope when things are falling apart. Yet in spite of everything, we remember, and therefore, we have hope. We remember God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's loving kindness. We remember, we remember that God's faithfulness extends to all of God's children. Today, we join people all over the world who come to the table with their hands held out, ready to receive a word of hope. One of the most memorable communion services I have participated in was when I was a student chaplain in seminary. The student chaplain had a Sunday morning schedule which included three stops, the behavioral care facility, then the nursing home, and then the hospital chapel. At the behavioral care facility, we held a communion service one morning, and all the chairs were set up in a circle. People came from a wide variety of backgrounds with a wide variety of reasons. Partly they came because it was the only service available to them. Sometimes they came because they were curious. Sometimes they were bored on a Sunday morning and had nothing else to do. Some were even on lockdown due to mental illness, and if they said they wanted to go to church, they were allowed to come, and they were escorted by an aide. As I looked into their eyes while serving the bread and cup, I saw glimmers of hope. A man's eyes said, I don't have to live my life as an addict. There's a better way. Those who were dealing with mental illness experienced hope in the meal. One had an aha moment. I get it now. Jesus loves me. I am a child of God. In the very act of receiving the body and blood of Christ and sharing the meal together, the Spirit of God somehow bridges the gap between reality and hope. This is the body of Christ broken for you. To the one who sold drugs on the street, to the one who wore her Grinch pajamas to church, to the one who doesn't have shoes, to the one who got bullied on the street, and to the one who did the bullying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And the story continues with us today. The body of Christ broken for you to the children who are receiving communion for the first time at the 11 o'clock service. This is the body of Christ broken for you. To those who avoid eye contact, to those with wrinkles and piercings and white teeth and stained teeth, the body of Christ broken for you. To those whose faces are anxious, shy, in pain, bored, angry, happy, and hopeful, all of you all over the world, this is the body of Christ broken for you to the living and the dead, black and white, old and young, those who have sinned and those who have been sinned against, all sit together at the Lord's table to share God's grace and God's steadfast love. Communion from the earliest days of the church has always had something to do with hope. Hope in the face of reality, hope for the future, hope in the power of God now and forevermore. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, 
You are our hope. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for your steadfast love. Lord, help us to remember that your mercies never end. Your mercies never end. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit at table in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you, you will find rest for your souls. This is the Lord's table. Jesus is our gracious host and invites all those who trust in him and to share the feast that he has prepared. Let us pray. Holy God, the prophets remind us of your great faithfulness. And Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice to bring us home to you. Therefore, we will remember and we will sing of your mercies, which are new every morning. Lord, lead us into your joy, filled with your gifts of peace and hope and love. Gather us up into your arms of mercy as we sit at the family table. Spirit of life, as we present ourselves to you this morning, we bring our whole selves, our accomplishments, our failings, our hopes, and our realities. Remind us all that our strength lies in you. Help us to love our sisters and brothers in every corner of the globe. And may we be united with all your people of every lang language, race, and nation, with all the saints in heaven, as we share the banquet you have promised. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.